Hey, welcome, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Geraci. I'm so glad you could join me on the program Crosswalk with Gino Geraci. And, of course, this is the program where we typically take your calls and answer your questions about the things you care the most about, questions about God and the historical Jesus. We talk about the Bible. We talk about worldviews. We talk about world religions. We talk about the past which includes the subject of history, and we talk about the future, which is the subject of prophecy. But every once in a while, we talk about the here and the now. And if you'd like to join me on the program, it's 303-873-1935. We spend a great deal of time talking about Israel and talking about Hamas and talking about conflict in the Middle East. And I'm I'm happy to continue that conversation. But if you want to join me on the program, it's easy to do. You pick up the phone, you dial the number 303-873-1935. And of course, uh, stepping into the producer's chair, Geronimo, Michael Arpaio. And hey, it's great to have you in the seat. And uh, thanks for helping out. Always a pleasure, Gino. Good to be with you. 303-873-1935. And one of the things that I wanted to talk about is the subject of toleration. You know, words have meanings, but imagine you're, you're, you, you, you say a word and somebody means something by that word and somebody else means something else by that word. And I'm thinking of the word tolerance, Now, a biblical understanding and a Western civilizational understanding that the word in the world in which I grew up in, tolerance meant recognize and respect others when you don't share their values, when you don't share their beliefs, when you don't share their practices. So tolerance was a recognition and respect when you understand, well, that person doesn't believe in God or does believe in God or doesn't believe in this or that or has these particular religious practices or no practices at all. But in the contemporary culture, tolerance has come to mean that you recognize and respect that every individual's values, truth claims, beliefs, and practices are equally valid. So imagine when you abandon a biblical understanding of recognize, respect others who don't share your beliefs with a new, a new way of thinking that you recognize and respect that every individual's values, truth, claims, beliefs, and practices are equally valid. So imagine where you think, well, um, If you make a truth claim that men are women or women are men, or you make a truth claim that um, my religion is true, but it's so true that your religion is false. Oh, and by the way, I'm required to kill you because you disagree with me. Well, that's a valid expression. Imagine you land in uh, Aztec in Mayan territory And there's a big pyramid, and people are walking up that pyramid, and they're plunging an obsidian knife into the heart of a human being to sacrifice that human being to the sun god so that, well, they can have a good crop that year. Some people might think that Mayan and Aztec spirituality 
is just as valid as historical biblical Christianity. But in order for that to happen, you have to embrace the idea of moral relativism, and you have to abandon a view that there might be certain things that are absolutely true. So here we go. Here we go. How are we going to talk about this? 303-873-1935 is my number if you want to join me on the program with your question or your comment. But in the age of tolerance, moral relativism is touted as the supreme virtue. In other words, it's where an ideological imperative isn't just simply live and let live, but it's a relativism that requires that you be tolerant of worldviews that are absurd. And so um, imagine a man says, I'm a woman, or a woman says, I'm a man, or a person fills in the blank, and it doesn't matter if it corresponds to reality. Every philosophy, idea, and faith system has equal merit in the new definition of toleration or tolerance. So the relativist says every philosophy, every idea, every faith system has equal merit. Well, what if the faith system says you will conform or die? You will convert or die. And and you imagine, is that your deeply held belief? Well, then we have to respect that belief. Now, what's happened in the mass immigrations that have taken place in the last 40 years, the great movement of people, particularly as it applies to Islam, you may or may not know this, but the largest concentration of Jews in the world is Israel. The second largest concentration of Jewish people in the world is the United States of America. The third largest concentration of Jewish people in the world is in France. But imagine Muslims go to Germany and they go to France and they don't adopt Western European civilizational virtues. They retain the beliefs, ideas, and um, virtues, if you will, if you want to use that term, of Islam. So those who favor one faith system over another, or even worse, claim a knowledge of absolute truth are considered narrow-minded, unenlightened, even bigoted. So imagine you're a Christian or a Jew, and you believe that there is such a thing as absolute truth, or you believe in the correspondence theory of truth, or you believe not in a philosophical materialism, but uh, the idea that there is such a thing as right and wrong and good and evil. And you become labeled narrow-minded, unenlightened, bigoted. Years ago, Norm Geisler wrote a book called I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. And in that book, he made 
an incredible statement. He said, I'm willing to be open-minded about certain things, but I'm not willing to be empty-minded. And, of course, different religions have mutually exclusive claims. Imagine you embrace a religion that says there's no God. And by the way, atheism and secular materialism is a form of religion. In what sense? They have a view of God. There is no God. They have a view about the human condition. Something's gone horribly and terribly wrong. They have a view about the afterlife. There is no afterlife. The very fact that they have views on the most important questions as it as it applies to what it means to be a human being they have to logically reconcile outright contradictions in order to survive imagine you're a materialist a philosophical materialist on thanksgiving and you want to give thanks but you don't know who to give thanks to <laughs> I know I'm grateful, but I'm not exactly sure who I should be grateful to. 303-873-1935 is the number. I'm talking about the subject, should Christians be tolerant of other people's religious beliefs? This is Gino Geraci. Welcome back. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Gino Geraci. So glad you could join me on the program. The number is 303 873-1935-303-873-1935. 873-1935-303-873-1935. That's the number if you want to join me on the program. Let's see who's up. Laura, welcome to the program. Hi, Gino. Hi. Hi, thank you. How are you? You know what? I'm I'm grateful to the Lord that I could get to continue to do this program. And obviously, I'm hoping you realize that my happy place is talking about the Bible and talking about Jesus and what the Bible has to say about stuff. Me too. (laughs) Me too. How can I help you? He's on the throne and that's um, where we're going to stay. Yes. Um, Anyway, I I know this, you know, that um, the Bible doesn't state it sincerely and that you are, um, have done all your, um, research and and dig deep hard okay so um i'm getting your input on this okay so um in the bible there's the the lord shared with us that there was a man um possessed with demons sure and he lived in a cave um he had a legion of them and the lord cast them out right mark five and he, those demons went into a herd of swine, correct, and then down to the down to a hill and into the water and perished or died. Right. It's okay. the first mention of deviled ham in the Bible. Uh-huh. I'm just te- te- teasing, just a little bit, just a little bit. You're lighting it up. You're lighting it up. That's all you're doing. Um, so, my question is to you. What happened to those demons? What an did interesting go, yeah. It, did go they ahead. go into the abyss? Did they were they cast into the abyss waiting for their final judgment? Did they go to another human being that had um, not cleansed themselves? You know how they said, if you don't cleanse yourself, then they will come back. 
Yeah, what a great question. And the way I think that I would answer that question is the Bible seems to give us a clue in Matthew chapter 12. And I think okay. it's verses 43 through 45. And, okay. and, and there Jesus is speaking on this very subject. He says, when an evil spirit leaves a person, to your point, okay. he says okay. it goes into the desert seeking rest but finding none. Then it says, I will return to the person I came from. So it returns and finds its former home empty, swept, and in order. Now, the reason why I think about that is your example in Mark chapter 5, where the guy is cleansed of the demons and he's sane and in his right mind. Right. And, and, and so Jesus in, in Matthew 12 says, then the spirit finds seven other spirits more evil than itself. And they all enter the person and live there. And so that person is worse off than before. That will be the experience of this evil generation. In other words, he's using this kind of as an illustration, but I have every reason to believe that what he's saying is, to your point, when an evil spirit is cast out. Now, uh, back to the point on, on, on what basis? On, on what basis does the guy in Mark chapter five um, get to r- live a life of of cleanliness uh, and, and and redemption? And, and, and redemption. And I think that that's the right answer: is that there has to be a different spirit, a holy spirit, living inside of you. And and so to, so so this only gives us a partial answer because I suspect that this is one of the answers to your question, that there is good evidence that when a demonic spirit is cast out of a human being, we have every reason to believe that Jesus was right when he says he wanders in desert places looking for a place to occupy. And so demonic spirits are looking for ways to inhabit human beings. Now, I think that this isn't the, the, the whole answer. There seems to be certain wicked uh, beings. And when, when the Bible uses the term evil spirit, it, it's, it's a, a Greek word that translates a word unclean. And, and the best right. translation that I can think of is filthy, disgusting. In other words, this, right. is a, this is a filthy, disgusting thing that likes to degrade and dehumanize its, its human host. And so there, there's this wickedness. So, so my threefold answer would be Matthew chapter 12 seems to be at least one hint of what might happen. Um, mm-hmm. In Jude um, and elsewhere, it talks about certain evil spirits that didn't keep their first estate were cast into a place called the Abuso. This seems to be a demonic prison that there are, seems to be certain demonic spirits that can't be trusted to even go into desert places. Um, but that might be mm-hmm. the exception. So I think that what would normally happen is what happens in Matthew chapter 12. But the other thing that I think about is that there seems to be prohibitions and restrictions to demonic activity um, right. ba- based on a person's relationship to Christ. But for the person who has no relationship with Christ, perhaps those prohibitions and restrictions 
are less limited. So the way that I think about mm-hmm. it is the biblical solution to demonic possession is exorcism. The biblical solution to people who are struggling is the Bible says, submit to God, and resist the, the, devil, the devil, and he and will flee. So we have every reason to believe we as Christians are given permission to resist, to, to submit to God. It comes in that order. Submit to God, resist the devil. If you don't submit to God, you don't have the proper resources to resist the devil. Exactly. I hope that helps. Exactly. Well, how do you pray for another individual that you believe that they've... Um, maybe been turned over. Well, again, I think that the way that I would pray for them is for their salvation. Because right. the Bible says if any person's in Christ, they're a new creation. The Bible says that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The, the, so, so to me, the thing that breaks the demonic curse is, is salvation, and and so um i would pray that they would get saved that they would be born again that they that they would hear the gospel and that they would believe it because the holy spirit isn't going to share your heart with demons or anybody's heart with demons okay okay and i think the other my word wisely um there was a period of time, and you know this, you know, being part of the Calvary Chapel um, movement, you know, fam- family, you know. Right. Um, but there were, there are, and pe- were um, people that um, got caught up in it, maybe. Sure. But weren't, aren't didn't truly give their life over to Christ. Right. And because I trusted a man, Gina, that way in my life that I called a husband. Mm. And um, he's been gone since 2017. And I have been trying to put my life together and hope for the best for him. But I do believe that in 2012, I experienced uh, an episode of seeing the demons that were um, in his life. Yeah, it's a frightening, frightening proposition. But hey, thank you so much for your call. And thanks for listening. And I hope this was encouraging to you. I hope so, I hope for his best for his. Hey, thanks so much for your call. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Geraci. So glad you could join me on the program. The number is 303-873-1935. We were touching on the subject of spiritual warfare and uh, demon possession And I, of course, do believe that there is such a thing as demons, and I actually believe that human beings can be possessed by demons and that the biblical solution to the problem of demonic possession is exorcism. 
But there are two primary errors when it comes to spiritual warfare. The first is overemphasis, and the second is underemphasis. Some people blame every sin, every conflict, every problem on demons that need to be cast out. Now, what's interesting to me is in the popular culture, where we have a sort of an ideological warfare where every aggression and microaggression, every oppression, every division is blamed on this oppressor-oppressed mentality. They're not looking for a biblical solution. You know, I talked about the word tolerance, meaning I grew up in a world where tolerance was you recognize and respect others when you don't share their values or beliefs or practices. And so we're back to that question that I was asking earlier. Um, do, Do we hate people who don't share our values, beliefs, and practices? And the answer is, of course not. But Christians are told to love uh, their neighbor and to love their brother, but also to even love their enemy. And so um, I grew up part of my life in Southern California in a place called Apple Valley, where Roy Rogers and Dale Evans lived. And they're really famous you know, in the 1950s, he's he was America's, uh, he was like the king of the cowboys. And they were also um, evangelical Christians. And someone was trying to trap them uh, by asking their belief, did they hate people who were gay? And Dale Evans said, you know what? I don't have anything but love in my heart for people. Why in the world would I want to hate them? And so imagine if you reclaim respect, dignity, acceptance, moral judgment, and personal preferences by what it used to mean. Like respect meaning give due consideration to others as valuable human beings without necessarily endorsing their beliefs or lifestyle choices. So is it okay to give due consideration to others as valuable human beings without necessarily endorsing their beliefs and lifestyle choices? But imagine we're living in a world where, no, respect means to wholeheartedly approve of other beliefs, or lifestyle choices as equally valid. So imagine a person says, I respect what Hamas did to Israel on October 7th. What what do you mean? Well, I approve of what they did. I heard a person make the statement, not kidding, not making this up. A person made the public statement that they believed that Israel killed their own citizens, mutilated their own citizens, burned their own citizens, and kidnapped their own citizens, and blamed it on the Hamas terrorists. You know what's awful about that statement? Not just simply that it was made, 
that in and of itself is wicked and perverse. What to me is perhaps even more wicked and perverse than that actual statement is that there are people who will believe that statement. Imagine a person without verifying, checking, or doing their due diligence would just go, oh, so that explains what happened. Yeah, we need to resurrect certain terms, like dignity. What do I mean by dignity? What does the Bible seem to mean by dignity? That you're created in the image of God. That human beings have an inherent and inalienable worth of infinite value. So imagine you don't believe human beings are created in the image of God. Imagine you believe that they're just simply the product of unguided processes. And if you live, great. And if you die, oh well. But in the contemporary culture, dignity has come to mean that humans have an inherent worth shaped and realized by the personal choices that they make, the standards that they create, the standards that they create for themselves. In other words, there are human beings who believe that human beings have an inherent worth, but that inherent worth is determined by personal choices. But what do you do? when your choice changes where you say imagine you're living in a world where where jewish people are told you have no right to a jewish state as a matter of fact you don't even have a right to exist so the state doesn't have a right to exist, and the Jews don't have a right to exist. And then there are people who, who literally are on board with that and think that's okay. And I have to go on record. I hope you pick up this broadcast and use it against me in the future. Gino basically said that human beings are created in the image of God, that they have inherent and inalienable worth, and they are of infinite value, whether they're Jewish or Gentile, whether they're Palestinian or from Paraguay. Well, what about the word acceptance? That word used to mean you embrace people regardless of their beliefs and lifestyle choices. But now it's come to mean not only do you endorse, but you actually praise others for their beliefs and lifestyle choices. You know what I heard, Geronimo? Oh. That Walmart is taking out their self-checking lanes because merchandisers all around the country have lost $100 billion because people in the self-checkout lines are are stealing. They're stealing. Great. Ruin it for the rest of us, a few dishonest individuals. Exactly. In other words, where you go, hey, wouldn't it be great if, uh, you know, we can save time and money by having self-checkout? And people go, this is a wonderful opportunity for me to take stuff that doesn't belong to me. This goes to the idea of moral judgments. Imagine you grow up in a world where certain things are morally right and wrong as determined by God's word, 
But now you live in a world where no one has the right to judge another person's moral truth or behavior. And it's okay to steal from Walmart because guess what? Walmart is a multi-billion dollar country and I'm poor and oppressed. And they'll never miss it until one person steals and then 10 people steal and then a million people steal and then 10 million people steal and it starts adding up to millions of dollars and then billions of dollars. And then what about personal preference? It used to mean that individual preference of art or food or clothing or style or hobbies are personally determined. But now personal preference means individual preferences of sexual behaviors, value systems, and beliefs are personally determined. In other words, what's real and preferential is what I want. Well, we all have a way of thinking about things. But that worldview will collapse under its own perversion. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Geraci. So glad you could join me on the program. The number is 303 873 1935, do want to let you know that I'm going to be at uh, Grace Bible Church, Grace Bible Church in Longmont. I happen to be teaching in the book of Colossians chapter 1. And um, so if you're in the Longmont area, I will be at Grace Bible Church in Longmont. The service starts at 10 o'clock. And uh, again, the number is 303-873-1935. I'm reminded of a passage of Scripture in Matthew chapter 12, verse 39, where Jesus talks about it's an evil and adulterous generation that seeks for a sign. And um, you'll remember... And again, the number is 303-873-1935. You'll remember that as Jesus was traveling around ministering with his disciples, according to the New Testament, he performed many miracles. He performed signs and wonders. And these signs and wonders were evidence of his divine authority. But also part of the point of the signs and wonders was to provide authenticity to his message for those who responded to him in faith. According to a popular uh, dictionary, I think it was uh, Webster's Dictionary, the word for 2023 was authentic. In other words, the word of the year was authentic. And people were... um, using that word that I have to be my authentic self and I have to do things in an authentic fashion. But the Pharisees who also witnessed these signs, so so pause and just think about this. Jesus performs the many miracles, the signs and the wonders to authenticate his authority. To It's supposed to generate belief that maybe, hopefully what he's saying is true. 
But the religious leaders witnessed these signs. And because they were filled with wickedness and unbelief, they still had to come up with a solution to how Jesus did these signs. In other words, they did not deny the miracles, the signs and the wonders. The religious leaders couldn't couldn't explain how blind people saw and deaf people heard and lame people walked and the dead came back to life. No one could deny that Lazarus was dead and that he came back to life. What they had to do is come up with an explanation of how that happened, and they wound up in their wickedness and unbelief attributing it to demonic spirits. They literally thought that Jesus was in league with the king of evil spirits. And so in Matthew chapter 12, verse 14, it says, But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. The word destroy here means, well, kill, to kill him. And when they asked Jesus for a sign to prove that he was the Messiah, the Lord saw beyond their words into their treacherous, wicked, unbelieving, faithless heart. And he said, it's an evil and adulterous generation that seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. In other words, he's alluding to the fact that just like Jonah was in the sea creature for three days and three nights, he himself would be dead and he would come back to life. A similar exchange took place in Matthew chapter 16, verses 1 through 4, where the religious leaders, the Pharisees and the Sadducees came to test Jesus, saying, demanding that he show them a miraculous sign from heaven to prove his authority And again, Jesus confronted their unbelief, noting that they could interpret the signs in the heavens. They could know if it was light or dark, rain or no rain. He says, but not they can't determine the signs of the times. An evil and an adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. And again, that sign of Jonah is a reference to his death, his burial, his resurrection. And the religious leaders already had enough proof of Jesus' identity. This reminds me of Richard Dawkins, who was asked to do a thought experiment. The thought experiment was, Let's just say for purposes of discussion that everything you believe is not true, that that the Bible is true, that, that God is real, and that Jesus is real, and you die and you stand before God at the judgment seat. What are you going to tell God? How are you going to explain your unbelief? And he said, I would ask the question, why didn't you give me more evidence? Why didn't you give me more evidence? The religious leaders knew the messianic prophecies of Christ. They saw those prophecies fulfilled. 
they saw with their own eyes miracles, healings, exorcisms. What more could he do if these signs were indisputable evidence enough? Nothing, concluded Jesus. The fact that they continued seeking a sign demonstrated the hardness of their unbelieving heart. In other words, imagine what what, what would you be willing to accept as evidence? Just a little bit more. The only definitive sign that they might accept to validate Christ's authority would be his triumph over death itself on the cross. But imagine Jesus does exactly that. He dies on a cross, and he comes back to life. And they still don't believe. The religious leaders, the Pharisees, probably didn't comprehend what Jesus meant just then. But they might have remembered and understood his words after the resurrection. We have good reason to believe that in the New Testament because the religious leaders, as they were plotting about the empty tomb, they said this liar said he would come back to life and we have to concoct a story. And they concocted a story and they told the soldiers that they fell asleep and the disciples stole the body. Scripture teaches that it's wise to test the legitimacy of anyone who makes any kind of a claim. Imagine a person says, hey, I'm God's prophet. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 1, Jesus said, well, John the apostle writes, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they're from God. Ronald Reagan may have said, Trust but verify, but John said it 2,000 years earlier concerning people who claimed to speak for God. Jesus didn't say it was that, this, that it's evil or wrong to seek for a sign. God gave signs to Moses and Gideon to validate his word. He even urged King Ahaz, ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. The purpose of a a divine sign is always to lead people to respond to the message of God with faith. And so, what would it take for you to believe that what the Bible says is true? This is Gino Geraci. Thanks for joining me. Hopefully I'll be back in the not-too-distant future taking your calls and answering your questions. 888-528-2557. 